Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. We're coming to the last days of Jesus' life on earth, his earthly ministry. It ends here, and we'll just uh, see how he wraps up. Matthew, chapter 26. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we just pray that, um, Lord, through this <clears throat> real life account of what has taken place, Father, I pray that it would just cause us to continue to grow in an appreciation for what you accomplished for us, for what it means to us, for what um, it secured for us. And so thank you, Lord, that this is recorded for us. Thank you that we have just the facts as they are in your word. And I just pray, Father, that we can learn from the pages of your love letter. Bless this time that we have together, Lord, as we lift it up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse 1, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings. What did Jesus just get finished saying? He gave the Olivet Discourse. Um... Peter, James, John, and Andrew were there, and he was able to instruct them. Oftentimes, Jesus would take Peter, James, and John, but on this occasion, Peter's brother Andrew were, was with them. And they saw the temple, they saw the beautiful building, and they kind of remarked to Jesus, and he said, hey, not one stone will be left upon another. Um, and then he got into answering their questions. When will this be and what would be the sign of the end of the age? And so that's what we just got finished looking at. Matthew chapter 24 and 25. 24, um, he gave them all the signs of basically the tribulation period, the great tribulation. We looked at that, abomination, desolation. And then in chapter 25, he gave the two parables and the account of how he's going to separate the sheep from the goats at the end. Uh, just something neat that I remember from sharing last week was, um, you know, the first thing you have is the, the ten virgins of the parables. The ten virgins, uh, five were wise, five were foolish, and the oil, five had oil in their lamps, right? So they were ready for his Lord's coming. And then he goes into the parable of the talents, which shows you what a spirit-filled life looks like. And a spirit-filled life is not necessarily people with titles or people that are, are named pastors or bishops or deacons or all of these things. All of those things are wonderful, but a spirit-filled life is really just serving with our lives everywhere we go, being available to God. And so we saw that when you did this unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me, Jesus said. And so I just, um, I, I like that because it gets us away from, wow, I can't, what can I do from the Lord? Can you add somebody a cup of cold water? Simple as that. So those are things that we should be looking for, opportunities like that. Um, and then he goes into the separating the sheep and the goats. And we ended there. So it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So we're looking at about Wednesday and the Passover is going to fall on Friday. And so Jesus is letting them know that he is going to be delivered up to be crucified. I mean, that's got to be just insanity what this would be the third time he's telling them and they didn't get it they didn't get it because they couldn't get it it's just it's one of those things that 
their ears couldn't perceive. No, that's not what we understand about the Messiah. That's not what we understand about the kingdom age. That's not what we understand about everything that we know and we've been taught. You're going to be crucified. That sounds like the end to them, right? No, it's going to come to an end. It can't come to the end. The, the Messiah is going to reign. The Messiah is going to be the deliverer, greater than Moses, right? Greater than Joshua. All of this, right? And so all of those are types of the promised one. So it just didn't register. And I guarantee you that there's things that we hear, truths that we hear, we're just not ready to hear them. And sometimes it's no indictment on us. Sometimes it's no fault of our own. We're just, we're not ready. They weren't ready. And they wouldn't get it until after the resurrection. Then it's like, oh, snap! He rose from the dead! What? That's crazy! They didn't put that together. But then they finally got it. Oh! Crucified and then resurrection! Got good plan. Good You know, like, they just didn't get it and they weren't ready. So I think for us, I think it's definitely important that we understand that just because we've heard something doesn't mean that we fully get it. We're all on a learning curve. And the learning curve is really a circle. It's not a curve. It just keeps going. You could, you could have gone through a book. That's why the Bible is so awesome. Because you could have gone through a book and you're like, no, 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 I know that book. I already went through that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's alive. <laughs> you know, God accomplishes what he purposes when it goes out. So maybe God has something different for you this time. Even though it's the same words on this page. But God supernaturally is able to take his word and bring stuff to us where it's like, whoa, no, wait, hold up. I read that verse a bunch of times. Somebody was sharing uh, Romans 8, 28. I think it was Joshua. Did you go to, did you get a chance to read this? I think it was Joshua. Uh, I heard the, the message this morning. So he was saying that Romans 8, 28, how many times do we do that? All things work together for good to those who love God. He goes, first time I notice, it's for those who love God. Not just for me. But for those, it's for everyone. And sometimes it's working out good for somebody else where I'm thinking, oh, it's got to be that good in my life. No, it's a different good in your life. But it's for those. It's for all of us. And so, again, the word of God, just incredible. Jesus is letting him know he's going to be crucified. Um, it's going over their heads for sure. For sure. Verse 3. Then the chief priests, the scribes and the elders of the people, assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So they don't want to kill him on the Passover. So he's not going to be killed on the Passover, right? Because these are powerful men, right? They're able to manipulate and kill Jesus, and he's, there's no way he's going to be killed on the Passover, right? Heck no! God... Is going to have him killed on the Passover. Why? Because the Passover is Jesus. Jesus is the Passover. What's the Passover? We're in Matthew chapter 26. You with me? Yeah, I'm just having trouble seeing it. Okay. You want to borrow my glasses? I've got my Put them on top of yours. <laughs> we, have this lady, we have this lady that puts two glasses on at work. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's crazy. I don't think it'll work for you, though. No. <laughs> so. Jesus is going to be killed on the Passover. Why? Because the Passover is Jesus. What is the Passover? Apply the blood to your door, right? The lentil and the doorposts of your home. And when the angel of death comes, it's going to pass over your home if the blood is applied. What a picture of Jesus on the cross. Remember John chapter 3? As Moses was lifted up in the serpent, uh, in the wilderness. Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So must the Son of Man 
be lifted up that he would draw all men unto himself. And so, no matter what they're planning, no matter what they're plotting, God's in control. Even though they're manipulating, even though they're lying, even though they're conniving, they're going to kill the Messiah. They're going to kill the promised one. The one that supposedly these religious leaders are waiting for and looking to. The very religious leaders. And so that's scary. That you can, that you can be so close to truth and so far from the God of the truth. And as I study the scriptures, uh, one thing I really draw away from is, Lord, I don't want to insist on my will. It doesn't have to be the way I think it has to be. Right? And so we need to be very careful with that. Verse 6, And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, Judas Iscariot, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold uh, for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, whenever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also uh, be told as a memorial to her. This right here is probably the greatest expression of worship that we have in the entire Bible. She took everything that she had and she gave it to Jesus in an act of worship. The only one that we know of that sees that Jesus is really going to go be crucified before all the others. This woman is getting to this Mary, by the way, Lazarus' sister, Martha and Mary, Mary and Martha. Okay? Just incredible account of worship. The word, and, and it's interesting because we're going to have a contrast with Judas, but worship, the, the word worship is proskuneo in the Greek, to turn to and to kiss. And yet there's false worship because we're going to see Judas betray Jesus with what? A kiss. False worship. And so, just interesting, again, God wrote the Bible. Because a woman wasn't even respected in this culture. Why would, he, why would he elevate a woman as the greatest hero of the scriptures? Because it happened and it's true. That's why. He don't care what the culture says. He don't care what the culture thinks. This woman is elevated in God's eyes because she truly sacrificed a great deal to show Jesus. I just love you, Lord. I just love you. I think that's just awesome. Verse 14, Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted him out thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he saw opportunity <coughs> to kill. Um, Judas Iscariot, it's not a clearly understood why Exactly, he betrayed Jesus, but um, it's just not good. And again, I think Judas, ultimately, he just didn't like the way things were going. And whatever that means, he didn't like the way things are going, so he took matters into his own hands. 30 pieces of silver, chunk change, 25 bucks. It's not a lot of money. It's not like, you know, a talent. Talent could be like, you know, 20 years wages and stuff. So that's a big chunk of 
talent is really a weight. But that's a big chunk. If it was silver, for sure. If it was gold, it's even more. But 30 pieces of silver? Measly little price. The, play, the, the price of the cheapest slave you could purchase was 30 pieces of silver. So just interesting. I mean, sold them out for next to nothing. I was reading uh, one of the commentaries I, I read on this chapter this week. Um, sometimes we sell Jesus out for the cheapest of things. Just not wanting to you know, identify with him or whatever. So just an interesting, and we're going to see the disciples also, you know, betray him as well. Not exactly like this. Verse 17, now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you the Passover, to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover uh, at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them. And they prepared the Passover. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? I like that because they're not saying, Lord, is it Judas? <laughs> they're saying, Lord, is it I? Like, man, is that within me? That's messed up. If it is, I, I don't want to betray you, Lord. But at least they, Lord, is it I? And they, all of them asked. He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. Who dipped the, the, the dish in his hand? All of them. They were all eating. And so many say, well, he was, he was pointing out Judas. He never pointed out Judas. He only pointed out Judas to Judas. So I just find that interesting. All of them dipped with him. The Son of Man indeed goes just as, as, as it is written of him, but woe to that man to whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good... For that man, if he had not been born. Is God causing this, uh, forcing this, making this happen? No, he's using it. Evil takes place in the world. And God is never the author of evil. But if people are going to do things in the world that are evil, God can use them. And this is the single greatest evil act on the planet. That the only righteous man would be indicted unjustly and killed. That, that's just the greatest single act. Nobody else, you know, is, is perfect. Jesus was perfect. So, this is major. Verse 23, he answered... Is that right? Yeah. 25. Been yes, 25. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you have said it. Notice he says it to him, and he's already done it. He already told him, right? What do you give me if I betray Jesus? 30 pieces of silver, here you go. And then he sought out a way to be able to do it. Hypocrisy, that's, that's major. I'm trying to pretend like, Lord, is it I? Because the other guy said, is it I? Uh, you said it. All the while, what you see is Jesus trying to still kind of draw Judas, but he's not responding. His heart has reached that point of no return. And we don't know where that lies, but we give up on God far sooner than God will give up on us. Remember Pharaoh? Seven times the Bible says he hardened his heart. And then after that, seven times it says God confirmed his hard heart. God didn't confirm his hard heart seven times until he had hardened his heart seven times. God will give you what you want, what you insist on. And so even as us Christians, we need to be careful. 
Because we can be outside of God's will, can't we? We can insist on doing things our way, or they have to look like this. So we need to be careful. Because God will give us that. Not because He hates us, but He'll let us kind of branch out, and then we learn our lesson. Oftentimes we learn our lesson. Go ahead. So the, the other disciples knew at that time when Judas left that he was going... Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think... Him up or something. They thought that maybe he was just going to go and take it. Because Jesus says what you... In another gospel, he says, what you do, do it quickly. And they thought uh, maybe he had... Because he was in charge of the treasury, the money. And so they thought maybe he went to go have him buy something or preparation for whatever. And so they didn't get it. But no, never does he nail Judas. The one who dipped his hand, a lot of people say, well, that he was identifying Judas because Judas was at the, at the seat of honor at his right hand. But they're all dipping. That's just, that's Eastern custom, right? So, I just, again, find that interesting. Verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. Each one of us needs to partake of this. This is a singular thing. Our, our parents can't do it for us. We can't do it for our kids. We can't do it for our grandkids. Uh, some, you know, an aunt, a godmother, godfather can't do it for you. This is, this is the you take and you eat. You partake of, of this. And communion has a, a big controversy, you know, transubstantiation. There's another word I was reading, um, Co-substantiation or something. But um, it's all symbolic. You know, Jesus is saying, take, eat, this is my body. This is symbolic of what my body did. My body was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Every time you do this, remember what my body represented. Remember what my blood did for you. And so I don't, I don't look into it much further than that. I have a, a girl at work who's Catholic, and she went to church uh, one Sunday. And her husband uh, stayed home to watch. They had a new puppy, and so the husband stayed home to watch the puppy. And so she's talking to me. She's like, yeah, we had communion. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then she goes, and I told them that, um, they asked, where's my husband? And I said, oh, he had to stay home and watch the puppy. It's like, oh, then take him communion. And she goes, I can do that? And I'm thinking, you can't do that in Catholic Church. No way can you do that. And then so she's continuing the story. She goes, wait, 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 let me finish the story. So she goes, okay. So he goes, yeah, just go up to room so-and-so and tell them, you know, they're the ones that prepare the the." What do they call it? Eucharist, right? They're, they're the ones that prepare it. And um, so she goes and knocks on the door, and they're, she, they're like, um, she's like, okay, you know, priest so and so said I can, you know, take this to my husband. And, she, and they're like, okay, do you have the? And they named this vessel that they had to put it in, and without that vessel, they wouldn't give it to her. And I was like, they wouldn't give it to you because they believe that's the actual body and the blood of Jesus. So no way, that's tr transubstantiation. They believe that it's every time the priest prays for the elements, the Eucharist, the, the bread and the, the wine, it actually turns into the actual body of Jesus and the actual blood of Jesus. And again, I mean, if you hold to that, I, I'm mad at you, but I don't think that's it at all. I think it's all symbolic. It's, it's a type and it's showing us. The important thing is remember what Jesus did. My friend goes to um, Cottonwood in my apartment complex, and she has brings those home. She has some home, huh? like to give people. That's okay to do. That's okay. Yeah, if you're if you're Catholic, you wouldn't be okay because uh, just what they believe. It actually would be okay, but because they believe that when they pray, it becomes the actual body and blood of Jesus. That's why it wouldn't be okay. 
Yeah, but is it the actual blood and body of Jesus? I, I don't think it is. Some people do. So, yeah, you can do communion at your house. You can you can serve your friend communion. You can go to the hospital. Somebody who hasn't been to church for a while. You can lay hands on them. You can pray for them. There's nothing that you can't do as a Christian. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. You are the high priest of your home. So, so you have that right. And, you know, obviously ministers, pastors, you know, that it's neat when we get to go and do that type of stuff. But guys, we don't hone the market on God, right? We're all Christian. Different people have different gifts and different callings. But that doesn't mean that you can't have communion at home or you can't have, uh, you know, lay hands on the sick, anoint somebody with oil. You're a believer. You are a priest, actually, according to Peter. Right? We're high priests, so. Knock it out. Um, then he took the cup, verse 27, and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. Is he partaking? No. Does he need communion? No. What is communion replacing, by the way? Passover. Right? They used to have a Passover meal. Right? The Seder? Is that what that's called? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's replacing it. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Think about that. Jesus led worship. Probably Psalms, I think it's 160 through 150. How many Psalms are there? 176? 150. There's only 150 Psalms. So 140 through 146 through 150 or something like that? Anyways, uh, those are the Psalms that they probably would have been singing. There's some interesting um, words in there that speak of the crucifixion and and what you know Jesus was going to accomplish through uh, the, the crucifixion. So, just an interesting dynamic there, uh, because Jesus says he will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until I look forward to uh, having a toast with Jesus when I go into the kingdom. That'll be my first drink since the Lord delivered me from the horrible stuff. What, what is it called here? Wine is a mocker. That mocker that I was drinking back then. Verse 31, Then Jesus said to them all, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. As it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. By the way, Judas was the only one from Judah as well, where everyone else from, was from Galilee, and Jesus was from Galilee. That could have been another reason why he struggled with, you know, let's get this thing. You guys are a bunch of country bumpkins. And I'm the only refined one, so we just need to make this happen. So I don't know, I just find that interesting too. Because it says right here that um, everyone's going to be made to stumble. And he's going to go back to Galilee before that. Uh, verse 34, Jesus said to him, Oh no, Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, because of you I will never be made to stumble. Is that true? What is Peter's strong suit? What is his strength? His boldness. His boldness. Where does he stumble or fall? In boldness. <laughs> right? So we got to be careful with our strengths. Unguarded strength is a double weakness. Be very, very careful when you stand. Especially when God's telling you something. 
not me. You're wrong about that. Uh, yeah, pretty much right all the time. Okay? But we do that. We do that. We question God or we wonder. God promised to take care of us. Lord, you're not taking care of me. You're alive. You're breathing. You got clothes on your back. Saw you eat yesterday. <laughs> Somehow I'm taking care of you. So we got to be careful. But his strongest... So his first step down was pride. He's, he's, he's confident. And I believe he believes it. I believe he believes it. He strikes Malchus's ear in the garden of Gethsemane, right? Pulls out his sword. They're not taking away my Lord. And he tries to hack at his neck and misses and gets an ear. Um, verse 34, Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you, this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. And again, I don't think we know how weak we are. Um, put in the right situation. I was reading Job chapter 2. Just for that one scripture because I was thinking about it. Satan was right when he said all that a man has, skin for skin, he will give. Like, like, like you push a man to his limit, skin for skin, you put him in that crazy, crazy corner of a place, watch him bail on you. And it's true. Most do, right? Definitely all the disciples did, and definitely Judas Iscariot did. Uh, but Peter here, I'm sorry, Peter, not Judas, Peter, who is saying that he's even if he has to die, he's not going to deny Jesus. Well, we know the story. Verse 36, And Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive press, right? It's the place where the olives were crushed to be able to draw the olive out. What is Jesus about to do in Gethsemane? He's going to be pressed, right? He's going to be squeezed. He's going to sweat drops of blood from just the pressure and the anguish of what he's thinking about. And said to his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took him with him, Peter, and, his, and the two sons of Zebedee, who's that? Peter, James, and John. So they would go on three occasions, four if you include the Olivet Discourse, but on three occasions a little further with Jesus than the other disciples. Jairus' daughter, when she was raised from the dead, he took Peter, James, and John. The Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was turned inside out, and it said his clothes were white, he was glowing, they couldn't handle it, right? Peter, James, and John. Here in the Garden, garden of Gethsemane, he takes the twelve, or the eleven. And then a little further, he takes Peter, James, and John. All of a discourse, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. So these were the, considered the inner circle of Jesus' ministry. But he's taking them so that they can not only watch him, but pray with him. Jesus is looking for support. He's looking for somebody to come alongside of him. He knows what he's in store for. They don't. But he's, he's like asking them, come on, guys. Come with me. And he knows that they're going to be tempted in a temptation that they're not going to be able to endure. What's going to help in the temptation? Prayer. And what do they do? Not pray. Fall asleep. Right? So, and he took Peter, James, and John, two sons of Zebedee, and he began, or Peter and uh, two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Even to death, stay here and watch with me. That right there, that sentence, is more profound than we can put into words. The level of grief that he is feeling is the greatest level of grief that somebody can endure. Like exceedingly sorrowful. The, the, the English doesn't even convey how anguished, how, how just 
wretched his soul is. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible that this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. If it is possible, if it was possible, the father would have granted him this. So we see Jesus under submission to his father, in perfect submission, and yet, Father, if there's any other way. If there was another way, the Father would have made that the way, right? He would have, he would have said, yeah, you know what, there is another way. But did he let him out of this? He, no, he didn't. Is he going to go to the cross? Yes, he is. Is he going to die for the sins of the world? Yes, he is. There is no other way. Today, there's a popular view out there that all oh, roads lead to God. Everybody's going to make it to heaven eventually. You ever been to a funeral and the person, person never even talked about any kind of faith, but ah, oh, they're in a better place. Ah, oh, they're resting. Right? And it's like, are they? Are, are they really? Wow. Their best lives were on, on earth. They were struggling. They were suffering. They were the best life they ever had. Because they're not in a better place. So, there is no other way. There is one way. That fact that there's one way is miraculous. But there's one way. And I think if Jesus would have, or God would have gave us multiple ways, we'd mess that up. Because right now, look at how confused people are. Well, I don't know what to believe. There's one way. There's one way. Jesus is the way. Okay? There's no other way. So it's as simple as that. Jesus, even John would write, right in 1 John, if you have the, if you have the Son, you have the Father. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. Jesus would say in John's Gospel 14, you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. that Where I am, you will be with me also. And then in that same chapter, 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, there is no other way. He's praying here. What is the cup that he's referring to? Let this cup pass from me. What is the cup? The sacrifice? Okay. So the beating, the scourging, the whips, the pain. Anybody else? What is the cup? What is Jesus avoiding? What is he trying to get away from? The pain is going to be too much? The whipping of his back is going to be too much? Excuse me? Separation from God. That has to do with it, for sure. The cup is prophesied in the Old Testament. Chuck? I was just going to ask... Why would that be called a cup? The, the, the beating, the scourging, and everything. Why would that be called a cup? Well, the thing that I, I hold that is, I'm going to have to feel and partake of, I don't know, maybe you know, symbolically, I guess that could be a cup, the suffering. Taking on the sins of the world? Take, definitely, that's definitely what's going to happen. The cup is prophesied in the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, possibly one of the Psalms. The cup is the wrath of God. The anger of God with sin. Sin has a price tag. Romans chapter 6. The wages of sin is death. Sin brings death. Jesus is going to have to drink of the cup of God's wrath. God's wrath will be poured upon Jesus as he hangs on the cross. All the sins of the world will be carried by Jesus as he hangs on the cross. And in that moment, God cannot look upon sin. 
And for the first time in history, the Father will turn His face from the Son as He carries my sins on the cross. That's the cup. It's called propitiation. The satisfying of God's wrath is what Jesus is going to accomplish on the cross. Gigantic. Gigantic. And to the degree that you are thankful and grateful to that is to the degree that you try to live your life in a way that just says, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. I, I deserve to be there. You paid it. He made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Second Corinthians 5.21. Right? Wow, that's the cup. For the first time, he's never been, he's never been out of communion, right? Never, in all of eternity past, infinity backwards, until the cross, when he cries out, what, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sins of the world will be carried on Jesus as he's on the cross. So this blood, this body, more than symbolic, right? Look at what it's accomplishing. This is gigantic. And Jesus knows, knows so much that he's thinking, Oh, I'm doubting. I don't know if I can go through with this. This has never happened. I don't know. Father, is there another way? Is, is there any other way? But I love that. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I have a problem with the health, wealth, the faith teachers that teach that, you know, we command God what to do. And that when we doubt, we bring in... Jesus is doubting, guys. It's not a sin to doubt. But he's trusting his life in the hands of the Father. Because he knows the Father has a good will for him, right? And that's he's, he's given us the greatest example of what it is to walk by faith. Nevertheless, not as I will. We tell God what to do. Where do we get off on that? How did that begin to even remotely sound like a good idea? And, and doctrinal. I don't know. Verse 40. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Notice, Peter, Peter, you just said you're going to die for me, dude. You won't deny me. What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went out away. And prayed, saying, O oh, Father, if this cup cannot pass for me, unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same word. So is it sin to repeat prayers? Is it wrong? The most repeated prayers in the Bible are three, by the way. Paul would pray three times, right? Thorn in the flesh. Lord, it's too much. Can you take it away? Now the response that comes back, my grace is sufficient. My power is perfected in your weakness, Paul. So no, I'm not going to take it away. But I'll strengthen you in the midst of it. Jesus prays three times. So I think we can have repeated prayer. I think it's vain repetition that God's opposed to. The rosary is a vain repetition. Because you're disconnected from the words. If you connect to the words, then pray. Some people have said the, the Lord's Prayer, which is the disciples' prayer, right? Lord, teach us to pray. But that's vain repetition. No, it's a great prayer. Be connected to the prayer. 
Don't chase our father who are in heaven, I'll be the man that kicked him out, there will be done on earth as it is in heaven, get the day of Yeah, don't just do it mindlessly. Our father. Think about each word. Our father. Universe man. Not just my father, our fa- father. Relationship. You know, think about the prayer. Think about the words. It's a beautiful prayer. It's teaching us how to pray. So, Jesus prays this three times. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. So Jesus knows, verse 39, right? Is that 39? No. 45. He knows that he's being betrayed. So let's run! Let's get out of here! Whoa! We're being betrayed, right? He runs towards, not away, from the battle. He runs towards the battle. He runs at the devil, not away from the devil. I just think that's pretty awesome. That's a superhero, superhero right there. Right? Rise, let us be going, see my betrayers at hand. I'm going to end there. We're going to pick it up. Um, we got the betrayal, and Peter's going to deny him three times, and we'll, we'll see that. We'll be able to pull that apart. But uh, just an awesome, awesome little section of Scripture. I think the... The biggest thing that I draw from this is just anytime I come in contact with what Jesus has accomplished and done for me, uh, I cannot help but just say, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Wow. You made a way. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. It's incredible. I really do. Um, I feel bad sometimes for people who grow up in fairly tame homes where they never really get out there and kind of just experience all that the world has for them to experience. I drank it in like a punch bowl. I swam in it in the gutter of the world and sin. And the contrast is so day and night, you know? And it doesn't mean, like, I, I remember hearing Chuck Smith, you know, he said he never cussed and he never smoked a cigarette and he never, um, I think one time he went into a movie theater, saw some Bambi or something, and he felt convicted, <laughs> you know? <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't supposed to go or something, you know? And I think that's a great testimony. But I love, I love, I love, I love the contrast of my life, black to white. Just, just dark to light, dead to alive. And it just shows me, and nobody can tell me, Yo, Johnny, you don't know, dude. You don't know what it feels like to... Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. And sin is fun for a season. It's fun for a season. There's some fun stuff out there. We ain't living for fun. We're living for God. We're living for God. And it's different. It's not what the world offers. But man, it's cool, you know. I woke up with a hangover for 30-something years. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's, that's fun to me. That's an old man right here. That's fun talk. No hangover. Woo! You know? No regrets like, you know, dang, who did I say whatever to that night or whatever. So I'm just thankful. And hopefully as you see and come in contact with what Jesus accomplished for you, access to God. Guys, we come to Him it's a throne of grace and we can come with boldness because of what Jesus did. Not because we're worthy, not because we merit it, but because he made access. We're going to see what that, that, that curtain ripped in two from top to bottom. 
saying, come on in, access to God's presence. Why don't you enter into God's presence more often? Because you don't want to. Because you don't want to. God made access. I'm not worthy. None of us are worthy, right? But Jesus made us worthy. So we're righteous because of His righteousness. Let's close in prayer and we'll, uh, I'll let you guys pray.